Ecclesio Mesa, made in God's image, to live in loving communion with our Maker. We are appointed earth keepers and caretakers to tend the earth and enjoy it and to love our neighbors. God uses our skills for the unfolding and well-being of his world so that creation and all who live in it may flourish. Together, male and female, young and old, every hue and variety of humanity, we are called to represent God, for the Lord God made us all. Life is God's gift to us, and we are called to foster the well-being of all the living, protecting from harm the unborn and the weak, the poor and the vulnerable. Pray with me. Father God, um, I was reminded today of how the sunflowers follow the sun as it rises and falls, Lord. And I just pray that today uh, our hearts would be like the sunflowers that turn their faces towards you. Lord, we uh, confess all the ways that we've fallen short of being your people this week and ask for your forgiveness, Father. Would you stir a new heart in us as we um, come to worship and learn and hear the word? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me get this straight. You're telling me that humans were created to run around naked, make babies, and live forever in a garden. But now, because of Adam and Eve and eating some stinking fruit, we have to get jobs. Uh, I love going through the story of God with people who are brand new to the faith. Um, sometimes I'm actually even a little bit jealous of them and the reality that they get to come to God's word with fresh eyes. Like, I know there's something beautiful about having a heritage of knowing the word of God and being present with God over a long period of time in his word, hearing stories, memorizing verses, uh, all those things, all those classes, all those sermons, all those hours spent in God's word, really, really good. But isn't there something beautiful about hitting, hearing it all for the first time and the questions that come with that? Like, that's something I, I pray for sometimes, is God, would you give me a fresh mind to come into this story to be able to read it without all the baggage and all the lenses and all the ways that I've heard this taught before? Do you guys ever pray that too? So this was somebody after we had done the first uh, few stories in what we call the story of God. Remember, we're talking about the whole story or the, the whole true story, we say, that this is the story of God from creation to new creation. And we represent it with some arrows that God came down and created everything good, right, and beautiful. Uh, this is Genesis 1 to 2 in your Bibles. But then human beings rebel, and this will be next week, an ex-Marxist rebellion. Genesis 3 through 11, they choose to rebel against God and live their own way, and earth comes under the curse. But we'll get to all that in a few weeks. And then God makes a promise, right, to Abram. He says, out of you I'll make a great nation, and I'll send somebody through you, through whom all the world will be blessed. And then Genesis 12 through Malachi 4 unpacks that story of God's gracious road to redemption. But it's a long road. It takes place over many years and an unfaithful people until the story is narrowed down to one faithful man, Jesus, God's own son, born to Mary who is the rescuer who has been promised, the Messiah, the deliverer. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John unpack that story. But Jesus, uh, this isn't just Mark's death, right? This isn't his life, his death, 
and his resurrection. He raises again, bringing new creation into right now. And he breathes on his disciples the spirit. He says, I'm sending you out. Go now and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you to the very end of the age. He sends out his church. And the book of Acts unpack through the different epistles, the letters to the different churches, tell that story. And this is the act of the story that we find ourselves in today. But where we are right now isn't the end of the story. We believe that Jesus will return to restore all things. He will judge creation. Those who have bowed their knee to King Jesus spend eternity with him on a restored earth. Those who have not bowed their knees to Jesus spend eternity away from him. And that's hard. But that's also why we want to communicate this good news, because we believe this isn't just a matter of opinion or a story or suggestion or a religious option that you might want to believe. But we believe right, this is the true story of the world, what God is doing from creation to new creation, wrapped up, three minutes, six symbols. There it is. So that original comment came when we were at this part in the story, and somebody had just heard that Adam and Eve sinned. And then the curse that work was going to be difficult after that point. And in their mind, they had put together that, that everything was good, right, beautiful, Adam and Eve. They were in this garden where God had created everything that they could ever need. And they sinned and then work got hard. And I start there, even though we're only in creation this week, uh, because that's not where work came into the story. A work did not come into the story in Genesis 3, but in Genesis 1. And two. And so we're going to read a little bit in Genesis. Um, I'm going to read from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up there. We're going to be in there together. We'll start in 126. We did non-human creation last week and saw the beauty of the created order, how God by his word spoke things into existence, and they were. He's a God of power and might and order and generosity. All those beautiful things packed into these stories. And then this week, we're going to check out humans and see what in the world are we here for from the beginning, before sin ever entered the world. So would you read with me? I'm going to start in Genesis 1, 26, and then I'll jump ahead to chapter 2. But let's read. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Jump with me to chapter 2, verse 15. We talked about how Genesis 1 is a little bit more of a straightforward telling of the story, and the Genesis Two is a poetic telling of the same exact story. He doesn't create two worlds. He just back to back tells these stories in different ways. So Genesis 2, 15. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. If you highlight in your Bible, that one's worth highlighting. 
And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely, certainly die. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. That's a dope job, isn't it? So the man gave names to all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, which means man, there was no suitable helper found. So the Lord caused, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Uh, Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we are so glad that we get to meet you in this text today. Uh, And I confess that it's a bit overwhelming to look at the magnitude of what we're jumping into. Uh, to realize this sets up all of humanity in just a few short verses. And then for our family, though, I'm convinced if we grasp this, if we wrestle with this, if our view of creation is enlarged, then the gospel becomes even bigger. And so this stuff really matters. And so, Jesus, I pray that you'd be present with us, uh, whether gathered here in person or in homes scattered throughout the state and ask that you would work in us to make your name even more beautiful than it was when we walked in, to grip us even more with the commission we have as we're sent out. We love you, and we're glad you meet with us. And ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of his spirit who's here. Amen. Amen. Before I get to what I want to say, and I I have three things that I want to pull out of this story for us to look at, I want you to turn back to those groups that you were in, Uh, And if you turned away from somebody last time and you felt bad, don't worry about turning towards them this time. That works too. Um, And nobody else will hate you for it. It's okay. Uh, But I want to invite you to go ahead and turn towards each other. And would you just say, what stood out to you from that story? As you heard those words of creation spoke over you, remember we said Moses was writing these down for the people after they had come out of Egypt. They had known God as a rescuing redeemer, and he was about to introduce them to the creator. They had spent 400 years oppressed by the Egyptians, forced into slavery, into working for gods they didn't believe in, crying out to God for rescue, and he had just provided it. And so now they sat on the other side of the Red Sea, formed as God's people, asking, how do we live together as a people? And he writes down these first two chapters to say, this is the God that you worship. And he tells their creation story. As he told that story in those two different sections, uh, what was just something that jumped out to you or caught your attention or even sparked your curiosity? We won't have time to work through all of them, but I would love for you to enter back into that space and just make a note of that so that you can continue doing work on that as you go throughout the week. So uh, turn back towards each other one more time and just say, what from that story grabbed your attention? Um, What sparked your curiosity? Was there something new about God and how he made humans? that jumped out for you. I'll give you like two, three minutes to do that. So uh, look down at your Bible, then look back to your friends and go ahead and answer that and that'll pull us back together. But Ready? I've got three things that I wanna pull out for us out of this. The first one, Genesis one twenty six. Genesis one twenty six. 
uh, says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over all the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We have to start here. Uh, this is what's been called the Imago Dei, or the image of God. Uh, this is fundamental. It's foundational. Uh, you just even got to learn some Latin, Imago Dei. Congratulations. But what does it mean? It means at least this. Uh, human beings were created unique in the rest of creation. Uh, every other part of the creation story, God said, let there be, and there was. Did you catch that rhythm? Day one, let there be. Day two, let there be. Day three, let there be. Day four, let there be. Day five, let there be. Day six, what does he say? Let us make man in our own image. Uh, speaking among the Godhead, saying, let us make man in our own image. Even as you're reading, the rhythm of the cadence of the storytelling breaks, and it's meant to make you look up. Like when the pastor talks louder into the microphone, you're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Or he makes a long pause, and you're like, is he looking at me? It's meant to break and make you pay attention in the storytelling because you're like, yo, this one's different. Uh, this one's different in the storytelling, but it's also different in what he says about them. They're distinct from the rest of creation in both created order and responsibility. Uh, animals are important. That's out there. Animals are different than humans. That's out there as well. I don't care what you dress your dog up as. I don't care how many family photos you take. I don't care what it gets to eat at the table with you. Dogs are different than people. Fundamental fact. All the created order is meant to be cared for, but there's this difference as he comes to humans that's in the storytelling and what he says about them. This idea of the image of God, N.T. Wright talks about it like this. He says, it's like an angled mirror. So we all know mirrors, right? Mirrors, you look at them and what do they do? They reflect you. You look right back at them. And he goes, the idea of the image of God or the, the being bearing the image of God is that it's almost like you look down at the angled mirror and it's meant to reflect you back up at God and let you see him. So he, his argument is that the image of God isn't so much like this, this piece of you that you have to define, but the totality of who you are reflects something about the God that is. That's fundamentally how humans were created. Like, that's something innate in all people. Now, Genesis 3 through 11 is going to tell us the story of why that gets a little cloudy. And we're like, that's not how I see people today. But in this moment, before anything's gone wrong, human beings are created in this dynamic relationship where they were commissioned out to bear the image of God. In the ancient Near East, which is when, where this was written, right, at this time, you would have people that were sent out and they would uh, go out around the kingdom and they'd go around and they'd put statues of whoever the king was in that moment all throughout the kingdom. And so that's why museums are full, right? And full of like these different, so Amenhotep here, Ramses here, all these different things because they're like, you never got to see that king. You had no idea what they look like because they're all the way back in like Babylon and you live somewhere way far away and you were not taking the plane over there, right? There was no train, there was no subway, you were kind of out of luck. And so you look at that statue and you'd be like, oh, that's the image of the God. That's the image of the king that reigns over this part of creation. This part of the world is reigned over by this one. And I see his icon or I see his image in this place to remember that's who we serve. 
And so rather than putting stone statues throughout the garden, God gave that commission to humans and said, I want you to be the representation showing others who reigns in the way that you live. There's something powerful in that, isn't there? This isn't just true of individual people, though. This is meant to be true of humanity. And so we're going to do a little exercise. I'm going to ask a question, what about a people group? And you get your response up there. So when I say, what about this people group? The image is, the answer is made in God's image. And I, I want you to do a little thing, just an internal check. When I read some of these off, be like, Did that, was it hard for me to say for any of those? I'm not going to make you confess that to each other, but just make note of that for yourself. Um, because this is the totality of human beings. You will never lock eyes with somebody that God does not love and who does not in some way bear his image. I'm going to say that again at the end, but that's, that's there for us. So what about women? I got 26 of these, so you can read as slow as you want or as fast. Uh, what about men? Go ahead and get louder. What about the poor? What about the rich? But what about kids? What about kids when they miss curfew and come home smelling of weed? Come on now. Um, what, what about people born in Africa? What about people born in Asia? What about people born in Europe? What about people born in North America? But what about those born in South America? Okay, let's get more personal. What about those in Central America? What about addicts? What about those who are convicted of felonies? What about those who don't have homes? What about people who have been abused? But what about those who have done the harm? What about people who lie? This is unintentional. But what about people who are in government? What about your boyfriend? If you have one, what about a girlfriend? How we treat those human beings matter, doesn't it? What if someone's gay? What about the server in the restaurant who messed up your order? What about people who are unborn still in the womb? But what about white supremacists? But what about those that are in jail? What about the person who cut you off on the freeway? What about the person on the other side of the computer that you're texting to? Do you see that little rhythm and cadence? All humanity is created in the image of God. And Owen, thank you for reading so loudly because that will be something that stands out, that that cadence of no matter who you come in contact with, remember they are made in the image of God. You will never lock eyes with somebody that God does not love you will never come in contact with somebody who does not in some way bear the image of God. Okay, why do we have to start there? Because the church has gotten that wrong for so long. Every epoch of time, every era of history, for some reason the church has somehow missed that there was a people group made in God's image. We look back and some of the sharpest Christian minds that wrote whole books on single verses still own slaves. They missed that they were made in God's image. At the founding of our country, people were only partially human, not fully human to be credited. When we look at people on the other end of the political spectrum, we can often demonize them and forget that they are also humans made in God's image. 
The neighbor that's the most irritating becomes a problem instead of a person. And so we have to regularly stay here. Our news cycle is made to think, make us think people are problems. They're meant to think people are just issues. People are these different categories, not people are people. But this story tells us that fundamentally at the core, every single human has something to reflect God's image. And we would do well to look at people and try to identify that. And get me, I know that's marred. I know that's not perfect. I know it's broken. Am I saying that we don't speak truth to power because those people are made in God's image? Absolutely not. We still do that. But we do it like we're speaking to people. Not just something propped up on the stage. Does that mean that we give everyone access to our lives with the same influence? Absolutely not. We live in a world that's Genesis 3 on, and so we do build these different trust circles that not everybody can be trusted the same, but everybody does bear the image of God. Does that mean that there isn't right and wrong and everybody just gets to do because we're all part of bearing God's image? No, there's absolutely still right and wrong. But, but start here. We start with that we're talking to people and about people who have inherent worth, value, dignity, and are created in the God's image. Whatever your vocation is, as you interact with humans, they are image bearers of God. We have to start there. A simple question for us to ask ourselves is just, uh, how does my digital presence, online browsing activity, or even my interpersonal communication, daily rhythms, reflect that I am, I am, I am reflecting God in every manner of life. What would the barista who serves me coffee say God is like from watching me, right? What would the, the person on the other end of the telemarketing call, like they just wouldn't get a hold of me, so they don't count. Um, but what would anybody that you come in contact with, what are you reflecting God to them before we start to say, all right, like, but here's where they're failing. Where are we failing? We reflect God's image. The second thing, and we'll keep moving. Uh, All humans are created in relationship. When the author of Genesis 2 says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, he wasn't just uh, making a statement on the state of fashion in the garden, right? He was talking about the state of their souls. Like, it wasn't just like, well, next on the runway, they don't have any clothes. Like, that's amazing. Look, look at that. Like, he's not talking about just the fact they were physically naked. He's talking about they were able to exist in a world with no shame. Like that feeling, and we'll get to it again in a few weeks, that something is wrong, not just that I've done, but with who I am. It wasn't there. There was no hiding, no blaming, no sarcasm. Sorry, those are the favorite love language. But they were able to be with each other fully. I want us to draw these out real quick, um, just because it'll be helpful later on. There's four different relationships that we've seen in the garden so far. Uh, there was a relationship with God, and I'm just going to uh, put that with an arrow, though it's not, God is not up, he's all around. But with God, there's a relationship with God that they have that's good, that's right, that's true. He's created them, invited them to trust him, and they do it, and they're walking in the cool of the day with God, and they're learning the best possible way to live from God, and he's protecting them and giving them all these good gifts like creation. Like, that is in shalom, it's a peace, it's the way it's supposed to be. That relationship, there's no shame in front of God, but they're able to delight in him and all that he's done. It's incredible. Uh, There's a relationship with each other. And so God created male and female. He created everything that he created with with a pair. There was land, there was sea, there was night, there was day. There's male and there's female. God is a God of diversity. 
And we said last week when he creates male and female, that's not just saying that, oh, look at that, there's women too. But women are actually being elevated in this story because, again, in the ancient Near East, men were often highlighted. And women, there was the gods, there was men, and then there was women. And he's saying, no, 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 there's the gods. And he created male and female to bear his image together. He's exalting that view, saying they need to do this work together. And again, there's a lot that we could parse out about human relationships and the way that there's differences in gender. But here's the, here's the picture that God is saying that this together demonstrates something about me. Male and female, he created. And their relationship was good. Between people, there was no blame. There was no hiding. Again, there was no sarcasm or need for it. No passive-aggressive texts. But it was good. It was shalom. They were able to cultivate the world together and be at peace. Uh, you see that even between creation, man and creation, it was working the way it was supposed to with the earth. Remember, this is pre-Genesis 3. There's no rebellion yet. Earth is going to be cultivated. It's given to them as this canvas to do whatever they wanted to, to cultivate it, to be caring for it. Like, there, there's a lot in that, but it was working the way it was supposed to. A beautiful picture of harmony, shalom. And then even a fourth relationship, I'll just draw it like this, is the relationship of them with themselves. And so within humanity, they were integrated. Uh, how many times do we sit with ourselves in our own thoughts and we just feel so even distanced from ourselves? We feel disintegrated from our own thoughts. Our emotions are going sideways. Like our, our mind feels like we can't do what we want to do and we keep doing what we don't want to do, as Paul says. There wasn't any of that. They were integrated. They were able to live wholeheartedly. The response to God was pure. The response to each other was pure. And there was a beauty in that. Naked and unashamed is the imagery for that. And so, with God, with each other, with creation, and then that relationship with themselves. But that's not the world we get, but we're not there yet. This is a beautiful picture of what it was intended to be when God created it. So he created all human beings in the image of God in good, healthy relationships, uh, those four different ones at least. And then the, the last third thing I want to look at is he created all humans to cultivate. Uh, this is Genesis 2.15. Uh, this is that, what they call the creation mandate. This is what answers my friend who says, wait a second, they just got to run around in the garden all day and do nothing, and then we had to get a job because of their sin? Uh, Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Uh, in Genesis 1, he said that they were given dominion over it. And I think a lot of times this gets really warped for Christians, so track with me just for a few things. One, dominion has led humans to aggressively take advantage of God's creation and destroy it. Um, but that's like if, uh, so if you're a parent and you have a teenager, and you say, hey, I'm, I'm leaving for a few hours. What I want you to do is just take care of the house, right? Your expectations might not even be clean the house, but they are take care of it. Like, like exercise dominion over this house. This is yours to take responsibility over for it. Then imagine as you leave your kids there, they're like, oh, shoot, mom and dad are gone. They gave me control over the house. Therefore, I'm going to take a can of spray paint, and I'm going to tag these rooms that I always wanted to make murals in, right? Dining room, I'm going to make a mural of some food, pizza right on the wall. Bedroom, I'm going to do some stars with some spray paint, right? I never liked that lamp anyway. I'm going to throw it away. I have dominion over the house. I was given responsibility of the house. Parents came home. They'd be like, what in the world did you do? They're like, what? You left me in charge. 
Yeah, but the expectation of being in charge was that you cared for what was there in the absence of the one who gave you that responsibility. When God gave dominion to Adam and Eve, he did it in a way that they were meant to be responsible for creation, uh, not just to trash it. I think sometimes work has been seen as a result of the fall, and because of that, honestly, what you guys do with six days of your week has been uh, marginalized, and what we do here on Sunday for an hour and a half has been inflated. Uh, that what you do for a living, whether you're a chef or a barber or you work in tourism or you're a nurse or you're a teacher or you're a mom that stays at home or a dad that stays at home or whether you are a landscaper or a fry cook or you deliver packages or you create the things that get delivered in packages, whatever it is, that that's been really minimized because that has been divorced from what God called people to do in the beginning and it's only what they do on Sundays or the spiritual stuff that matters. Remember we said last week, dirt dirty but spiritual is special and that's just not true. Literally, God's words to humans were to do your jobs and cultivate the hidden potentials of his creation. Uh, that's one way to look at this. The author, Craig Bartholomew and Mike Goheen, they say this. They say, to be human means to have huge freedom and responsibility, to respond to God and be held accountable for that response. Uh, thus, a better way of expressing humankind's dominion over creation may be to say that we are God's royal stewards put here to develop the hidden potentials in God's creation so that the whole of it may celebrate his glory. Uh, that's in a book called Drama of Scripture that is absolutely brilliant. Uh, I love it. I recommend it to everybody. Many of you have already read it because I coerced you into it, so I'm glad for that. But Drama of Scripture, it's brilliant. But what he's saying is that, that God was almost, uh, you get this imagery of God, and he's up in the heavens waiting for humans to discover the different things about his creation. Like, I can't wait till they discover chocolate. Like, like I can't wait till they figure out how to make pizza. Like, I can't wait until they figure out fire or the wheel or relationships or movies. This is going to be incredible because everything that's present in the world today was there in kernel form at the beginning, right? It was just cultivating over time what was already in the world. And if you're a parent or you like to give gifts, you understand this. Like, there's a lot of joy when you know there's a present under the tree and you're just waiting for your kid to get to that one, isn't there? Like there's one present that you might like to give more than all the other ones. So they open some of the smaller ones. It's like, whatever, they're happy. But you're really hoping to get that response when they find out the gift that you've given for them. And that's the imagery of God that he's saying, go ahead and cultivate all the hidden potentials of God's creation. And I wonder how well we would do to say that's, that's the majority of the work that we do with our lives. Like what you do for your nine to five or your 10 to six or your overnight shift or whatever it is that you work is actually fulfilling this part of God's creation mandate that was there before the fall. Like this is what you were made for, to glorify God, enjoy him, and to cultivate the hidden potentials of his creation. And I think sometimes we just get so separated from what we do Monday through Friday or Thursday through Tuesday or whatever your work shifts are that we don't experience. Wait, this is all meant to fit into his grand plan. And so uh, for the next few weeks, we're gonna do a little something that I'm calling the other six days. And we're gonna do an interview on a Sunday and we're gonna pick out different people from our church and ask them a few different questions. So Daniel is first up this week. So you're tired of listening to my voice, you get his now. Um, Zoomers are gonna tell you, they can't see you. 
I got you. Um, you're going to be able to see some people, hear some stories, figure out, like, and just listen in. And, and my hope for this is twofold. Uh, well, more than that, but we'll just give two. Uh, one, that it sparks creativity for you to look at your work with a renewed lens of cultivating the hidden potentials of God's creation. I hope you hear that as each other talk. Uh, another thing is that it equips us for how to pray for people that are in that field. As you get older, you're going to find that all of our fields that we work in are very different. Uh, people do very different things with their days. But uh, we're in this thing together, and so it's a beautiful thing for us to be able to do. So I've got a few questions for you. Um, Daniel already knows what they are, so he's not getting put on the spot with them. But, Daniel, uh, what do you do for work? That's the hardest one. Just kidding. Uh, I'm a barber, and I own, partially own, uh, Fritz's Barbershop, which is a barbershop here in downtown Mesa. It's about a football, football field's length away from here that way. Um, it's right across the street from the Dinosaur Museum. So if you need one, a haircut, you know where to find it. I thought you were saying if you need a dinosaur. <laughs> you also know where I to get I can show you where to go. You also know where to get that If now. you need a haircut, you know where I am now. So yeah, uh, men's haircutting, men's hairstyling, uh, shaving, all things, most things men's grooming. So, yeah. Uh, ladies, you do want a barber trim? He can do it. I've seen him. Just ends up a little tighter than what you might. Uh... I was thinking earlier, like I was looking around, like there's I think nine or so guys that I've cut their hair or kids too. That's been really cool to see, like getting like intimate time and special time close to a lot of people here. It's been really cool. So and there's more here that are part of Missio that I've had the pleasure. Um, yeah, I was reflecting on that after, once that guy. I was like, wow, that's really cool. So. Thank you, guys. And then how do you see yourself cultivating? I'm going to use this word. I know it's wordy, but I'm using it on purpose that we think through these ways. But how do you see yourself cultivating the hidden potentials of God's creation as a barber? Um, so I wrote down this, and I'll explain it. So cultivating in such a way that brings about the common good of the clients um, and cultivating in such a way that brings about uh, worship, meaning it's not just my job to make people's hair shorter, like zip, 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 done. Um, that would be really boring if that was my only job, was just to make someone's hair shorter. Um, meaning bring out the common good, like it's not just my job to make people's hair shorter, it's my job to look at the client, know them, what they do, and their hair, pull all of that together to create something that's unique for them and that highlights them and bringing out the uniqueness of them. So bringing out their common good. Um, and then the bringing about of worship, <clears throat> like meaning bringing about glimpses of the new creation. Um, so in the, in the barbershop, there's, uh, there's mirrors all around, but specifically there's mirrors in the back and then there's mirrors in the front. So like, you can see what I'm doing as I'm doing it. And you could be like, oh, that looks really good. Or, oh man, that looks really bad or whatever it may be. Like, but when you turn around and there's something special, like whether it's a first time client or maybe you're trying something different with your hair that you had never done before. Like there's been several cases where like, especially after like people not getting haircuts and their hair being longer, like people are realizing like, oh man, I had no idea my hair could look like this or 
it looks really bad like this, and I need a haircut kind of thing. So, like, you get these opportunities to turn them in the chair or whatever it may be, and you get this, like, wow moment. And people look and, like, this looks really good. So, like, they're appreciating the work that you did, but taking it a step further, like, they're appreciating the God who created those specific pieces, whether it's the creativity that went into it or the actual material of the hair and the products or whatever it may be. Like, they're, they're worshiping God without even knowing it. Um, and they get to see, like Paul talks about, like, new creational bodies, right? Like, this thing that we long for to be perfect. Not to say perfect, but this thing that we long for with creation. Like, they get a glimpse of that new thing to come. So that's really cool. You can definitely see that in people, or maybe you experience when you've walked out with just that perfect haircut, and you're like, man, like, this is good, right? You want to reflect back. Those lines are just right. That fade is just right. This is good. And that's not just, like, words to be like, oh, that's funny. No, like, no that actually reflects back. It was meant to be good, and we celebrate goodness because God is a good God. That's super exciting. Um, but it's not all good, and so we live in a world that's been affected by sin. And so I did want to ask this. How do you see your field uh, being influenced by sin? So one is silly and one is serious. The silly one is, I say, male pattern baldness. Um, because, like, it shows, and of course, we experience this into varying degrees, some more than others, unfortunately. Um, post Genesis 3, like, our bodies are just not the way they're supposed to be. Our bodies deteriorate over time some more rapidly than others, like I said. And we're seeing this deterioration through something that seems silly, but it's your hair not being there or not where it should be or not making you look in such a way that you are created or getting worship um, out of it. Um, the other one is this um, worldview of discontentment. So I've got several clients who come in um, once a week, if not more, which seems crazy. But, and it's not that they want their hair cut in such a particular way, and it's not that they love everything that I do with their hair. It's because they have this worldview of everything's got to be just right. I've got to be perfect. I have to look this certain way. Everything is not right. So they have this discontentment in them, and one of the byproducts of that is constantly going in for grooming. I mean, it's tough because I benefit from that. Like, they're paying for a service that I can provide that they are coming for. But, yeah, it's just like this discontentment of themselves. And you can think about the image of God and being made in the image of God and us reflecting who he is in the various spheres of where we are, whether that's at home or at work. Um, they've got a distorted image of themselves. Um, and it's all based in this um, discontentment. Yeah. Cool. And then the last question, how can we be praying for you? Um, as you go about your work on a daily basis, how can your family be praying for you.
coming out of 2020, there was a time in which the barbershops and salons were closed. So everything just like boop, stopped. And we were trying to figure out like, what are we gonna do? All this kind of stuff. So instantly, myself and the other barbers that are there and the people that are involved with the barbershop, like we immediately turned in and tried to figure out like, what are we supposed to do? Um, and just trying to take care of the needs, whether it was for like that hour, because at the very beginning, like everything was changing so rapidly. And then whether it was for the week or whatever it may be, like we had this desire, we we're trying to figure out what to do right now. Um, so coming out of that, we didn't necessarily take the time to figure out what are we gonna do next? Because we were so focused on here and now, whether it was keeping the barbershop open or paying barbers or what it may be. Um, so just praying that we would have clear vision um, on what to do next, whether that's um, employment, whether that's uh, finances and how to give, or whether it's like um, from the customer experience, like how do we make this, what we have going better? How do we create more worship in this um, particular space? Yeah, praying for a clear vision I'm going to pray for you now, and then you can go back to your seat. But oh, Would you guys join me in praying for Daniel? Daniel, you've been sent by God to cultivate the hidden potentials of his creation as a barber. And so I pray, uh, Jesus, that you would empower him for that work, that spirit, breath of the living God, would you continue to give him energy and creativity as he cultivates both haircuts, uh, but also the potential in people as he forms community in a space in downtown Mesa. Uh, would you bless his business, uh, bless his barbers, uh, and would your glory be seen in Mesa because he's faithful to do the work that you've given him to do? Uh, we love you, and we're glad that you're with us. Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. So we're going to do this for the next few weeks. Uh, they won't just be locked into the sermon each week because they won't necessarily flow with that, but there's going to be a little portion of time where some of you will interview your friends and just ask the questions uh, so we get to know each other a little bit better, but also how we can see how our work connects with God's larger story. Uh, to wrap this up, uh, when I go hiking, sometimes I have an app open, and my app allows me to drop pins along the way of memorable things uh, that I want to remember. So I can look back on it later and say, oh, yeah, remember, that's where that campsite was, right? It's geotagged. Oh, remember, that's where that amazing waterfall was. That's where that rock formation was. That's where you want to go left instead of right, because if you go right, you're going for a few hours the wrong way. Done that, right? So go left there. Those different notes you make along the way. And so I just want to drop five pins in this story. I'm going to use words. Uh, and so if you're taking notes, write these words down and continue to mine them throughout the week. The first word, the first pin that I want to drop is trust. Trust. Uh, will we trust that this story is the true story and that God's way to live is actually the best possible way to live? That's the invitation of Genesis 1 and 2. Will we trust God to be who he said he would be? And will we trust that he has made us who he said he has made us to be? Or will the gods of comparison and the other gods of our culture cause us to doubt his word and our worth in this world? Uh, the second pin that I would just drop down in here to remember as we go through the rest of the story is the word delight. 
delight. Human beings, we were made to delight in God. God delights in his creation. He called it very good. We are meant to delight in him. He delights in us. You're meant to actually enjoy the good gifts that God's given you in this world. So as you cultivate the hidden potentials of a meal, celebrate that. As you give a haircut, celebrate that. If you get that perfect line of code in, celebrate that. Like you are meant to actually delight in the things that God has created. You're supposed to enjoy the feeling of sunshine or the way a hot tub feels even when it's snowing. Like those are things that you're meant to actually enjoy and that's not sin to delight in these things. When good things become God things, then you've got an issue, but that's next week. This week, delight in God, delight in his creation. Uh, the third pin or the third thing to drop, gratitude. Uh, receive with gratitude. God is a generous God who gave freely in abundance and we're able to receive that with gratitude. Uh, let your heart be overwhelmed when you taste flavors that are incredible. That perfect cup of coffee or that sip of wine or that Coca-Cola, if that's what gets you excited. But enjoy all these things that he's given us in this world and receive them with gratitude. Not entitlement, not just expectation and demanding but gratitude that God has given us so much. A fourth word that I wanna drop, this pin that I wanna drop is the word generosity. Uh, as we receive it with gratitude, would our lives be marked with generosity towards others? Uh, not just tipping God or others at the end of a good service they provide for us, but a generous life, one that overflows and gives towards other that reflects the God of generosity to others, whether or not they have earned it. Because in the story, Adam and Eve did not earn anything. They were invited into it by God and given creation, formed by him on purpose, given work to do, but it was just given to them. Uh, would we be people who are marked by generosity? Think of how that would be good news to a community. Be like, oh, Missio Mesa, those are really generous people. Good news. And then the last thing, uh, fifth, and it was in that quote that I read from Mike Goheen, is the word stewardship that we'd remember that we are stewards of God's creation. Uh, our talents have been given to us. So would we steward them well for the benefit of others? Our time has been given to us. Would we steward it well for the sake of others? Our relationships have been given to us. Would we steward the roles that we have been given well for the sake of others? Your marriage, your parenting, your roommates, your classmates, your friends at the skate park, all of those relationships that have been given, how will you use them as a steward? You've been given them from God. And the last thing, I just wanna say this and leave this out there, that we will give an account for that, right? There's, there's, a, there's an element of which God is mighty, he's in control, and so we have been asked to steward, and we'll give an account for how we did with that. That shouldn't invoke shame, but I just wanna raise that awareness. We've been given a work to do, Will we be faithful to do it? And I do hope that whatever it looks like as we continue to respond in this story, uh, that you would continue to respond, not just with giant leaps, like, oh, let me figure out how to put everything in my life and orient it in the true story all tonight before I go to bed, but, but encourage you just to take baby steps and then to celebrate those with each other. Have you ever watched parents when their kids take their first step? Like, have you ever watched like videos? It's on Instagram or Facebook, or you've watched it and been in person. You're like, this is just straight up silly how excited parents get when a kid teeter-totters falls on their face, right? But Daniel, you're, you're getting there, right? Like, you're waiting for that. 
You're excited for that. There's going to be great celebration and lots of Instagram posts, especially your first kid the first time they take steps. Other ones, you guys don't get near as much cheers, but we still love you. Um, but take this. What's a baby step that you can take that we can celebrate together as missional communities? We say, hey, we want to live more in line with how God created this world. What's a baby step I can take as I respond to who God is in this story and the work that he's given me to do? It would be a great thing if we came away weekly and just said, what's my next baby step to be faithful to what God has created? And we will cheer for you like parents. Silly as it may be, the fact that you say, I'm actually going to clean up my front yard because it is not cultivated to the glory of God. And we will celebrate that. And if you need help with that, John would love to help you. Um, let me go ahead and pray. Jesus, again, you're here and you're present and we're grateful. We love you and we're glad that you have taken time to meet with us tonight. Uh, would you make us faithful participants in your story? Uh, would you overwhelm us with the magnitude of what has been given to us, cause gratitude to well up and generosity to pour out? Would we be faithful stewards of this moment in time that we've been given, uh, not out of compulsion or obligation, but out of sheer delight in all that you've done? And God, would we be sent out to love our neighbors as ourselves, seeing them as image bearers, uh, those worthy of love because they are in your image, not because of what they produce, but because of who they are. And would you convict us where we fall short, encourage us where we're failing, and bring us to repentance where that's needed. And we ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your spirit.